We've been um, uh, launching a new series called Five Ways to Be. At the start of the year, we looked at uh, our outward-looking term where we're going to be looking at how we can live out our faith, not just here when we gather on a Sunday, but every day of the week. And uh, we looked at words, works, and wonders, if you may remember that. If you haven't been here, you can catch up on those online. And uh, uh, encouraging everyone to step out, to take risks. And uh, uh, this week, I had an opportunity to step out take a risk. Uh, my carpenter uh, came around. We just moved house and there's some bits snagging that needed to be done. Uh, and uh, a whole new world opened up for me. And uh, this carpenter was working around. And he, I could see that he was limping a bit. And I thought, Do you know what? I'll just ask him. I said, well, I used to be a physio. That doesn't look good to me. What's happening? And he told me uh, he had problems with his hip. And uh, I said, well, I'm also a pastor and I believe in prayer. I believe that God uh, can heal people. Would you like me to pray for you? And he said, yes. So I prayed for him in between the jobs and uh, asked him, uh, do you feel any difference? No, there was no difference, but he was very appreciative of me praying for him. So uh, it was a, a bit of a step of courage. And then he went on to do his business and uh, uh, helped me fix my house, which is wonderful. Gave me some wonderful tips on how to build a shed, which I uh, embarked on yesterday, which was great fun. Um, but um, those little moments takes three seconds of courage, doesn't it? Like, is that moment where you're going to take it or you're going to leave it? And I can tell you, most of the time, I'd rather leave it than take it. Like, your heart's pounding in your chest. You're kind of thinking, should I do this? What will they think? Let me encourage you. This week, look out for some opportunities to take some risks. We are the light of uh, the world, the, the salt of the earth, as Jesus said it. Uh, he's our light, and we get to shine his light into the world. And uh, I want to really encourage you. Be bold. Take steps uh, of courage to continue to grow into that. Um, so um, as we kind of continue our outward looking uh, uh, term, we now looking at five ways to be. So we, we just looked at uh, the very first session where we're going to look at what, what does it mean to be a church family? So we've, we've got lots of important things that are important to us. So uh, uh, how would you identify as well? We would call ourselves a community of uh, Jesus followers. We live in three directions. So we live upwardly where we worship God. We live inwardly where we connect to one another and then we live outwardly sharing our faith, what I just told you. Um, where, where are we heading? Well, we're trying to build a community uh, that's culturally diverse like Peterborough is, uh, that reaches the next generation because we believe uh, children and particularly the next generation uh, needs to be passed on the baton of faith. Uh, and we believe that we want to have a significant impact into this city and be a resource base for church planting. But all of these things mean very little unless we also had a very uh, strong culture that defines us. So uh, a culture is not necessarily what you're going to be doing or where you'll be going. A culture is who you're going to be. Five ways to be. And that's what we're going to be looking at in this series. So when you go into a place, you rarely remember all the details, but you can definitely tell how you've been treated. So we could give you a great inspirational talk this morning uh, and uh, tell you what Life Church is all about. But if you've not received a warm welcome and if you've not enjoyed the people that you spend time with, it's going to be uninspirational, isn't it? It's going to be the people that you meet that are going to make a difference. Now, who would we like to be as a church and who would like to be as Christians is very important. And Jesus had a lot to say about that. And we just picked five of these um, that we think form a foundation to most of the other things that Jesus has said. Now, these could be true for any church, but these are particularly five things that we want to give ourselves to. So the first one we looked at was being... 
Joyful, very good, well done. Being joyful. So remember, I've got a little trick for you uh, how to remember these things. Uh, being joyful, thumbs up, yeah? Got that? Being joyful, yeah. Second one is being courageous. So if you volunteer for something, then you stick your finger up, yeah? Put yourself in that place, being courageous. Now, we're coming to the third one today, and that is being welcoming. Now, what does it mean to be welcomed? Now, I can definitely tell you when you've, uh, when you've had a good experience of welcome, you'll remember that, won't you? And when you've had a bad experience of welcome, you can remember that. I'll tell you a little story. Um, I, I love coffee. I'm a bit of a coffee snob. And uh, I love to go to my local Costa Coffees on a regular basis, just around the corner from me. I can walk there. It's very convenient. And I've been coming there for quite some time, uh, about three years or so. We'd use their venue to uh, have uh, church stuff happening. Um, I, I come there pretty much every week, at least once a week, order the same coffee. I know all the names of the people in that coffee shop that are helping me. And yet, for some reason, none of them can remember my name. They can't remember my regular. Now, I wouldn't mind if I just walked in once, but if I come there for three years every week, I expect a coffee place to be more than just selling coffee, right? So there was this tiny little Costa coffee that opened up just around the corner, uh, next, uh, first floor in Next in Brotherhood. And I thought, do you know what? I'll go and give a, a, a different shot. Now, the third time I walked in, they remembered my regular. They even remember my name. They talk to me like they know me. Now, which of these places would I go to next, do you think? First floor of next. Yeah, exactly. Now, the views are not quite the same. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot smaller. It's a little corner. But this makes a difference to me. When I walk into a place and I pay for some coffee, I would like to receive some kindness to go with that too. Now, when we talk about welcoming, we're not talking about Costa Coffee like the selling point. But to be really honest, the welcome that you receive in a church says everything, doesn't it? If you just walk through the door and no one talks to you and you walk back out the door again, you're not really going to feel part of what's happening. Being welcoming is a very, very important ingredient of being a church. Now, when you look at the, um, the, 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 the hallmarks of Christianity, we can see that the early church was really, really well known for its hospitality. In fact, one of the emperors um, was very concerned because what these people kept doing is gathering people in their homes, sharing love feasts, so they called it, have food together. And the, the, the gospel, the story of Jesus kept spreading. And he said, there's nothing we can stop them with. We can't just stamp out their meetings because they're just meeting all the time. It's very fascinating, isn't it? And when you read in Acts 2, uh, it says this. The believers, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple court. So they, they gathered in corporate settings like we're doing now. But then daily. I mean, that's quite powerful, isn't it? Then they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they, they not just met in rows and kind of meetings, but also in circles uh, in, in their homes. Um, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was something incredibly attractive to the early church. They opened their homes. They opened their lives to one another. Had food with one another. It was inspirational. So inspirational that people were attracted to it. And the church started to grow very, very quickly. Now we need to do some sober assessment. We do not live in a culture that is very well known for its hospitality. Would you agree? 
Anybody awake? Would you agree? Yeah, yeah we, we are not really known for our hospitality. Um, these people said med daily. They had people in their house on a daily basis. So let me ask you, uh, when was the last time you had seven visitors in your home? In a week. In a week. That, that does not happen daily for us, does it? Our homes are not like an open door, come in and we go and have food together. It, it's much more like your home's a bit of your castle, isn't it? Your, your, your safe place, that's where we'd like to hide and keep all our mess. And um, like, It's a bit uncomfortable to have people around. It's difficult to open up your homes and welcome people. But, but this is quite an odd thing. Because there are many other cultures where hospitality is very important. To have a day going by with no one coming into your home or not providing a meal would be very weird. So we need to understand that when we're going to start looking at the subject and the culture of welcoming, that by default, we're not going to understand it. Would you, would you want to come on that journey with me, but just assume today that you're not going to understand what I can, I'm going to say? Yeah? If you think I already know what he's going to say, then, then you'll fit in that category of people that won't understand what I'm trying to say. Do you get that? you follow me? If you think that what, you know, what I'm going to say you know, it means that, that you probably haven't fully understand what I'm going to be talking about because it's alien to our culture. And when you try to understand something that's not part of your culture, it's like speaking a different language. Als ik nu in het Nederlands met jullie begon te praten en probeerde uit te leggen wat vrijgevigheid allemaal betekent heeft en hoe het is om je huis te openen, dan heb je geen idee wat ik aan het zeggen ben. Right? Yeah? So, I just told you in Dutch what I'm going to be speaking about this morning. But because most of you won't be speaking Dutch, you won't know what I'm saying. So just assume, I will speak English, don't worry. Um, just assume that what I'm going to say is not something you're going to get straight away. You need to let it sink in. And I want you to come with me on a journey. Now, when we talk about um, our culture, we need to understand that um, we, we live in a culture that is very isolated. And this is a big issue. So when you talk to any GP or any health carer, you see that mental health is, is, is rampant uh, in our day. And isolation is one of the biggest factors of health issues in our nation. You see, we all find it very difficult to open our lives and our homes to one another. But we all crave friendships and relationships. So we, we, we want something that we don't know how to get. And we will have to make some sacrifices in order to get there that will be a little bit uncomfortable. So being welcoming, everyone wants to have friendships and relationships, but to be a good friend comes with some costs that not everyone's willing to pay. And this morning, we're going to unpack what this really means and how we can grow in this as individuals uh, and as a church together to be welcoming. There should be something about us that is infectious, where we have one another over, where we invite people into our homes, where we have food together, not just around here, but also to the people around us. People crave this. People crave this, and we can make an easy difference. Now, the, the, there is something about the very heart of the gospel that is very deeply connected to hospitality, to welcoming. Why don't you flick with me um, to a passage? Uh, it's coming up on the screen. I think it's Luke 11. Am I right? 15, nearly. Luke 15. Here we go. I just copied and pasted the text without the chapter number on it, which is very helpful. Here we go. 
So, the parable of the lost son. Why don't you open your Bibles if you've got one or digital device or look on the screen as I read through. This is Jesus trying to explain to us the heart of the gospel and what it means to be welcomed. It's the story of the welcoming father. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him and he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him the son said to him father i have sinned against heaven and against you i am no longer worthy to be called your son but the father said to his servants quick bring the best rope and put it on him put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found and so they began to celebrate meanwhile the older son was in the field and when he came near to the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You have, yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes and comes home, you kill the fan car for him. Oh, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Now, this is a story about the heart of the gospel, what it means to be welcomed by the Father. You see, the reality is that all of us are lost sons and daughters. By default, we have run away from the Father and we try to do life on our own. Would you agree? There are things in our lives that pull us towards the Father, that show us our need, but by default, we're going to try and make it on our own. Now, if we understand that by default we're outside of the Father's presence, we are longing to be with the Father. But the older son thought that he was with the Father all the way, and yet clearly, turned out, didn't really have a relationship with the Father either. This story is about two sons that are lost, and a welcoming Father to both. Now, if we understand that we are lost then we are longing to be with the Father. But if we think we're not lost and we are already with the Father, we might not understand that we need the welcome love of the Father. Now, all of us are outside of God's family to start off with. 
We've all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's perfection. And God's family is perfect. So there is no place for imperfect people in God's family. And therefore, by default, we are like the lost sons. We have wandered away from home. And we need to come home. You need to find a home. So many people in this day and age are restless because they don't have a home. They don't have a place. They have a physical place to go and sleep, but they don't have a place to belong. They don't have a family to be part of. There's something in them that's aching for that. And you can see it all around. We have social media. We have very many ways to communicate, to help people connect together. We've got dozens of dating websites and, 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 and all sorts of ways of getting connected. But there is this deep um, longing for connection, but none of these connections will ever really fulfill what we were created for, to be part of the Father's family. The father, it turns out, after his son has left, is on the lookout. He's on the lookout all the time. He's on the lookout all the time. And he's standing far off and he's longing for his son to come home. Now, when, when, we, get, when we get a picture of God, we, we don't often think of him as a father who's on the lookout for us to return home. When you have messed up, when you have fallen short, we often think God is a father who is disappointed with us. It's like we're rocking up on the doorstep and he's busy and he's saying, oh, there you are. Don't we? When we connect with God, we often find it difficult because we feel there's stuff in the way between us and God. We often get this picture in our heads that we are a long way off from God and there are lots of things in the way between us and God and we can't come close to the Father. There's something in the way. And, and this picture that Jesus is showing to us shows a very different picture. It shows a father who's on the lookout all the time for his son to return home. The father is on the lookout for you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And when you wander away from him, he's not satisfied. He doesn't just go on with his business like we uh, looked at. Uh, he doesn't just spend time with his 99 that are left and enjoys himself. He's on the lookout for the one. He's on the lookout for the one that is lost. And what we can see is when the son comes back, he's done his little sorry speech, isn't he? He's rehearsed it on the way. Um, but before he can say anything, the father is already running towards him. Now, you need to understand back in that culture that uh, the patriarch of the family running was a shameful thing to do. Like patriarchs didn't run for anything. Servants run. Slaves run. Uh, masters don't run. Masters are dignant, and in order to be able to run, you have to pull up your, uh, uh, the, the long skirts they were wearing back in that day, and you have to reveal your bare legs, which back in that day uh, was a very shameful thing to do. Now, this is a little bit hard for us to understand. Do you remember? You're not quite going to understand this if you assume you're going to understand this. So I would say it's probably equivalent from the father um, rolling out of bed in the morning, seeing his son uh, through the window, and running outside in the street in his underpants. That's probably a modern-day equivalent. It's shameful. We See, we don't quite understand. There is something urgent about the father that he drops everything and goes out to the son. He doesn't care what people think, even if he's shamed. Now, I'm trying to kind of slightly exaggerate this so you understand the shame that was involved for the father to go out to the son, to run towards him, and to go and meet him. This was not done back in the day. And this is the, the reckless love of God that we sung about this morning. The reckless love. There is something about the, the love of God that is offensive, that, that we can't understand. 
there's something about it that is reckless, that is outrageous and, 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 and extravagant, even to the point where he's willing to, to be shamed in order to find his lost children. Now we'll find out a bit later on to what lengths God was willing to go. And then the, the lost son comes to the father and uh, he's done his little sorry speech. He's ready to, uh, to explain to the father what, that he's messed up and that he wants to become a servant. And the father doesn't even let him finish. He embraces him. He kisses him. Now just think for a moment. Um, it was a bit of a shameful thing uh, for the patriarch to run out to go and meet his son, but to embrace this blubbering mess. I mean, this guy has spent all his money, shamed his father, sat with the pigs for a few weeks, uh, stinks probably like nothing else, and barely has got any clothes on, uh, and his father just throws himself around his son. I mean, you can't do that without getting mucky. The father would smell like pig afterwards. Do you get what I'm saying? There would be some dirt on his clothes afterwards. And this is what the father does. He doesn't mind. He embraces the son in the midst of his mess. Now, often what we do when we come to God is we kind of think we, f- we feel like we have to get it together. Well, I'm going to just sort my life out. I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to clean myself up and then I can connect with God. We find it really difficult to pray to God when we've messed up. Usually we'd love to wallow in pity and shame for a few days, so we've kind of groveled and then make our way to God. But here is a very different picture. God throws his arms around the son, embraces him, mess and all. And that is the picture of the gospel. You are welcomed by the Father, mess and all. And when you come to the Father, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to work yourself out. The Father embraces you as you are in the midst of your mess, understanding what you go through and say, my son, my daughter, here I am. And then we can see that he doesn't leave his son in the mess. He says, right, come on, let's bring him some clothes. Let's get him cleaned up. Let's give him some shoes. Let's put a ring on his finger. You see, when the Father invites you, it's not to leave you in your mess is to bring you into the family and restore your dignity. And then he throws a party. They killed the fattened calf. Now, back in that day, people didn't eat meat every day. They eat, eat meat very rarely because killing your cow means that you've got no milk left. It's, it's, it's like, the, 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 and cows are very expensive. It, it wasn't necessarily um, uh, going to be a, a thing that you did on a daily basis. This was for highly special occasions. Like this, this, this was like a, a big part of your year's salary, sacrificed. So the father goes to great lengths to throw his celebration. Now here's the son coming in, expecting to be shamed, uh, to become a servant, saying, sorry, father. And his father saying, yeah, you've totally ruined my family name. You've taken off all my money. Um, right, you can earn your way back, but it's probably going to take you seven years before I'm going to talk to you again. And here's the father throwing his arms around him and celebrating a party. Now this was really offensive to the older son because the older son was still with the father, comes home, says, what have you done? Like you killed a fan calf. I've been here all this time serving you and, and, and you've never given me anything. And this older son is just as lost as the younger son because he doesn't understand the father. And the father says, well, everything I have is yours. What are you talking about? Don't you understand my love? Don't you understand everything I have? And when we see that um, the, uh, the, the older brother uh, standing outside doesn't want to come in, we can see that the father does the same for the older brother as he does for the younger brother. He comes out and meets him at the place where he is. And he talks to him. 
So here's the younger um, uh, brother coming back home and doing his sorry speech. And the father says, my son. And here's the older brother having a right old grump. And the father says, my son. Both of these sons are loved by the father. And both of these sons he goes out to meet. Now, it's for us very easy to go from being a lost son to become an older brother. If we are welcomed in by the Father with all our mess and he helps us to sort out our lives, it's very easy to become an older brother where we kind of start to then look down on people who are still in a bit of a mess. The truth is that we never move on from that. We are still sons in the Father's house and understanding the Father's love we do by invitation, by his grace and his lavish love. And this is what Jesus came to do. Now, the... You need to kind of understand that there is an underlying problem here for the older brother. Because for the younger brother to come back in the family means that it's going to cost the older brother. Because the younger brother taken off his um, uh, inheritance and has moved away and then uh, squandered all of that, him coming back in basically is coming back into the heritage of the older brother. Because everything the father has is going to be part of the older brother. So for the younger brother to come back in means that he's now going to be sharing in the older brother's inheritance. And obviously the older brother is a little bit upset about that because this guy just squandered all his money with uh, prostitutes and all sorts of things and now he's just welcomed back in. I mean, that's unfair, isn't it? It's like somebody uh, taking a big bite out of your burger when you go to McDonald's. This is, like, this is offensive. This is, what, what are you doing? This is mine. Uh, you're going to be sharing in what I have? I, I don't want that to happen. Now, why Jesus is telling this story, he's telling the stories to the Pharisees. And he's showing them that they are behaving like older brothers. And uh, what we can see later on in the gospel is that Jesus is the true older brother. You see, what should the older brother have done? When the, when the, when the, the younger brother was lost, the older brother should have gone out to find him. But he had done no such thing. And when he comes home, um, for the older brother to invite the younger brother in would come at his expense. Now, this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus is the true older brother. He went out to find all the lost sons. Um, It says in uh, Luke 19, verse 10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This was why Jesus traveled from heaven to earth to come and be with us, to find the lost children of God. And he came and found us. And he welcomed us in to his family at his own expense. You see that Jesus died on the cross paying the penalty for our sins to be welcomed into his family. I mean, the family he had, the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, was a perfect family. Now, inviting all of us, it's going to make it a bit messy, isn't it? You're never going to have a Christmas like you have with the Trinity, but like... Inviting all of us, that's going to be a bit messy. Now, the reality is that Jesus, at his own expense, invited us into the Father's family. He paid the price. He was the true older brother who went to great lengths and welcomed us in, into the family of God. You are loved by the Father. The Father is looking out for you. He's he's looking out for you every day. He embraces you in your mess and all. And Jesus is the true older brother who welcomes you in at his own expense, uh, seeking you out, bringing you back home. And this is the wonderful family that you are welcomed into. So before we talk about being welcoming, we need to understand what it's like to be welcomed. 
to have been welcomed by the Father. If we truly understand how we have been welcomed by the Father, it will be very easy for us to welcome other people. You see, if we are like older brothers and we think that this place is ours and everyone else who comes into it comes in at our expense, we're going to have a very hard time trying to be welcoming to others. But if we truly understand that like the younger brother, we've been invited by grace. There's nothing we have done to deserve the Father's love and that we have been given everything we have by the Father's grace. There's nothing that he owes us. We're going to be absolutely generous people, aren't we? When we're going to understand how much the Father loves us and how much he has welcomed us in at his expense, it'll be very easy for us to invite others. So if you find welcoming other people in your life difficult, if you find sharing your house or your stuff difficult, I want to encourage you, try to read the scriptures, try to spend time thanking the Father for seeking you out and saving you. If you start to understand that everything you have is by grace, then it becomes much easier to share these things. Now, from that, it it flows. So if Jesus has welcomed us into his family, he now in his turn sends us on a mission to welcome others into his family. We become like the true older brothers to the rest of the world around us, to welcome them in. And that means that we're going to have to go through the same process that Jesus did. We're going to have to learn what it is like to take initiative, to find the lost and invite them in. What it's like to welcome other people in at our own expense. What it's like to share love generously and lavishly without um, expecting anything back. This is now going to become our journey because we're going to become like Jesus in our mission to the world around us. Now, here's a few things that I think are really crucial in us understanding what it's like to welcome others. So we see that the father was on the lookout for his son to return. That means that he was um, taking initiative. He was intentional. Every day he was on the lookout. Now I wonder, when you go about your business every day, do you spend your time looking around uh, the world uh, like uh, people that are bothering you or people that provide an opportunity to be welcomed? You see, the father was on the lookout to welcome his son in, not to tell him off. And if we get up in the morning, there is something about taking initiative to be able to welcome others in. You see, normally how it goes is a bit like this. Um, I was actually talking to a couple um, uh, a little while back, and um, they told me a story that is so true, and and yet something that I totally hate about church in general, but also about uh, humanity and people. So um, they said uh, we had a uh, a lunchbox Sunday a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we had lunch together after church. It was last week, wasn't it? Um, And um, we we go up to the um, canteen or whatever we call it, um, a name that we can never pronounce, refractory or something like that, and and, uh, we have lunch together. And uh, we were talking about this, and they said, um, well, yeah, we've been to the lunchbox Sunday, and uh, we didn't really like it. You see, we, we, we kind of sat at a table and, um, and no one joined us. So we won't, we won't do that anymore. It was too painful. I was like, ah, oh, that is so true, isn't it? That can often be the case when you go to a group of people and you sit somewhere, go sit at a table, and no one comes and joins you. It hurts a bit, doesn't it? But there, we kind of got to understand that this is not how the Father thinks. This is not how Jesus thinks. If Jesus was thinking, oh, I've done everything I could, but no one's joining me. That's not how Jesus takes initiative. 
He takes initiative to go and find the lost and welcomes them in. So when it comes to being part of a church family, it's less about being welcomed, it's learning to be welcoming. So I think what happens if, oh, no one comes to sit at my table, so therefore I'm not coming, what happens to the next person who goes to the lunchbox Sunday and has no one to sit at their table? You could have been the one who invited them. So what happens is this vicious circle. And we do this all the time, don't we? Oh, I wasn't invited to that party, so I'm not going to invite you to my party. Uh, oh, uh, nobody came to help me with this, so I'm not going to help anyone else with anything. And this is the spiral of our culture. And what happens is that we just end up at the bottom with no one ever having to welcome anyone, but all being lonely. Do you get what I'm saying? So if we want to have a church family that's welcoming, we're going to have to do some things that cost. So if you're going to be sitting at a table or standing in the atrium, no one talks to you, go and talk to someone. Don't wait. It's not about being welcomed that we're after as a church family. It's welcoming others. And in that process, if all of us have that intention, I can guarantee you that all of you will be welcomed as well. But just sitting around moaning, so um, I think a phrase that I think uh, got out was, well, that's what people at Life Church are like. And I'm like, no! That is not true! No one sets off in Sunday morning thinking, oh, I'm not going to invite you to my lunchbox Sunday. Right? That is not what we like. But if that is the mentality that we get in our heads, my friends, that is exactly the reality that you will get. And that is not what we want to be like as a church. Now, I, I have to admit that this happens. I think I, I understand that. I understand the painful nature of it. I'm not going to pretend like it doesn't. But I can't solve it. I can't welcome 150 people to come sit at my table. It's not big enough. So I'm not going to be the solution. We're going to be the solution to this altogether. And the only way to do it is to learn how to be like Jesus. Take initiative and then welcome other people in at your expense. So uh, what we can see is that Jesus paid the penalty for sin for us to be welcomed into the family. He paid for us to be welcomed in with his blood. Now, I don't think we usually draw blood when we welcome other people into our lives, do we? We don't go to that extent. No, actually, if we just get a little scratch in the process, we back off. And I'm going to have to like, drive the nail a little bit deeper here, guys. If you want to invite other people, if you want to be part of a welcoming church, then you need to learn how to invite people at your own expense. And if we want to see this culture change around, you can't wait for somebody else to do it. It's going to be us. So uh, what does that practically mean? Well, it means positioning yourself in a place and go and talk to some people. For most of us, that's a scary thing to do. There is a cost involved of, of learning how to take initiative. Go to people and talk to them. And it might mean that you need to set some time apart. We're all so busy, aren't we? Oh, I'm so busy. I don't have any time to have anyone over. Well, then you're never going to have a true community to be part of. You're going to have to make some time. And you can't moan at the rest of the world if that currency is not available in your world. If time is not available in your world, uh, that, that is the currency of friendship. That's the currency of community and relationships. So you've got to make some time. 
cut a few things out of the diary. Say no to a few things. Maybe say no to a few things that your kids are doing uh, because so many parents get so swooped into everything that's available for children that they don't have time to actually practice uh, hospitality themselves, which is very important for your children to experience. Um, uh, it might mean that you need to set some money aside if you come to the end of the month and you have no uh, finances or food left to share with anyone. It's going to be a hard thing to do. So be intentional. Set some money aside. Uh, and uh, uh, keep it simple. Keep it simple. Your house does not have to be spick and span all cleaned before you invite people in. Let them see a bit of your mess. That's what community is like. Uh, you don't have to go out for three-star restaurant meals uh, when you want to practice hospitality. Um, some fries at McDonald's will do the job. That's what I do for a daddy date with my girls, and uh, they're pretty happy. It's just creating a space and a place to connect. Uh, and uh, if we make it too big, it becomes too much for us. And then just embrace the mess like the father does. So these all sound great, right? We're going to do all, the, uh, all do this. Take initiative. We're going to do that at our own expense. I can already tell you, in the first week you're going to do that, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get splat on. You're going to get, you're going to get messed on. Because when you welcome other people into your life, you draw them close. And you're going to get messy with their mess, whether you like it or not. Now, if you're going to be offended by that, then you're going to have a really hard time welcoming other people. But if the Father is able to draw you close in your mess then we need to learn how to draw other people close in their mess. They might use some language that you don't like. Fine, let them use that language. Um, they, they, they might like to do some things that you don't like to do. That's fine. That's fine. Go and do some things that you don't like to do. If that's your expense, then that'll be an easy way to pay it. Um, they might like some food that you don't like. Fine, learn to eat some food that you don't like. Become part of a, the adult world. It's, it's great. Um, you're going to have to learn to do some things and receive some mess and embrace some mess. Otherwise, you're never going to get there. And then in that process, what you can't do is uh, embrace the mess and then afterwards ugh, go like that and talk to somebody else about somebody else's mess. That's not what the father does, does he? He honors his lost son. He puts a rope around him, a ring on his finger. He honors the people that, that, that he welcomes. So learn how to honor people with your words, the way you talk to them, the way you talk about them, the way that you treat them. If you walk into Costa and they say, you're really welcome here in this place, but they don't remember your name, then they're not really honoring you. They're not really interested in you. If you invite people into your home, it's not so you can tell them your life story. It's so that you can hear their story. The whole point is to understand other people, not to make sure that you're understood. Um, and then we get to follow in Jesus' footsteps and become a part of his family that invites other people in. Now, I can just feel in the atmosphere that this hurts a little bit, doesn't it? It's like going to your car mechanic for an MOT and he says, ooh, your exhaust, uh, uh, exhaust readings are a little bit off and uh, here's a few things that need to be fixed um, and uh, I'll probably have to get your car back in to uh, do another uh, little bit of a checkup later on. It hurts a little bit when you hear these things, don't you? It hurts a little bit. When I look in the mirror thinking, gosh, there are a lot of things that I need to learn how to grow in to become really like Jesus and really like the Father when it comes to welcoming others. But I want to make sure that as a church, we don't settle for that's what people at Life Church are like. They just don't invite you. They don't connect with you. That is not true, my friends. That is a lie. 
There's an absolute lie from the enemy who wants to keep us isolated. And if we're going to break through that, we can follow in Jesus' footsteps and see radical change. I want life church to be a place where no one ever sits alone, where no one ever has no one to talk to, and where everyone has meaningful relationships. But we're going to have to do some work to get there. And I can't be that friend to all of you, so we're going to learn how to have to be friends to one another. And this can only happen when all of us commit to that and give ourselves to that. So are you with me? Brilliant. Why don't we stand together and uh, we finish in prayer. Thank you so much, Father, that you were on the lookout this morning for us. Thank you that you were eager to meet with us this morning. Thank you that you have invited us into your family, mess and all. Thank you that you throw your arms around us and that you express your love towards us. Thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. Whatever we do, whatever we have done, there is nothing that can keep us away from your love. Thank you that your love is reckless. Thank you that your love is generous, is lavish, is outrageous. Thank you that you are willing to take on shame to welcome us in. Thank you, Jesus, that you, like the father bed his legs, were hung on a cross naked for us full of shame, full of shame to welcome us in at a great cost. Jesus, we could never repay that cost for the rest of our days. And we thank you. We can just simply say thank you for inviting us. Thank you for welcoming us into your family. Now, will you teach us to become a family member like you, Jesus? Will you teach us how to welcome others in like you did? Will you help us to take initiative how to uh, welcome others in at our own expense, how to embrace the mess, how to learn to honor people. Will you help us to make us into older brothers like you are an older brother to us? I pray for our community, our church community, that we will be known as a people like the early church that were um, having people in their homes, that were meeting in meetings, that had meals together, that were truly a community. Lord, I pray that you will come and do something culturally um, uh, uh, kind of uh, miraculous, Lord, in our day, where you'll come and create a deep hospitality, a deep welcoming for anyone, for everyone. Lord, Father, we pray that you will come and make us different in this day and age, in Jesus' name. Just feel as we, just stay here in this place for a few minutes. Um, I just feel we need to do some business with God. So just keep your eyes closed. Uh, maybe open your hands. I, f I feel like we've got to trade in some lies, some thoughts, some things that you thought or said uh, to replace them with some truth. So I just want, want you to take a moment. Just think of anything that you might have said or might have thought about people that fell radically short of Jesus' approach to us. If you've settled for that thought, oh, that's just what people are like. I want you to take that thought and we're going to put that to death here and now today. That is a lie. A lie from the enemy. That is not what God's family is like. Not at all. So just take that thought, place it in your hands and um, I just want to give you the opportunity to give that to God now. And just say, say sorry to him when your approach to his family has fallen short to his approach.
Now, repentance means that you that that you that you say sorry to the Father, um, but but it, but it's more than that. It's it's changing course. It's changing your thinking. It's taking a different perspective. So now we're just going to ask the Father to come and replace the thoughts that we've had that were falling short and replace them with thoughts that are true. So just open your hands just to receive what God wants to say to you. And I'm just going to ask the Father to come and replace these thoughts with new thoughts, with his thoughts. Father, would you replace the thoughts that we've had about people about others, about community, the things that we've said, and we, we pray that you will replace them with truth, the way that you view other people, the way that you look at other people. And I pray that you'll make us more like you. Will you come and drop in truths right now and help us to live differently, to be a different community. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.